So I wanted to start off with a couple of housekeeping things before I get going. There's some things that I wanted to share that I couldn't really squeeze into my message anywhere. Uh, but Jimmy and I decided early on that we kind of wanted to do this every week, that we wanted to share this uh, QR code for people to join the Uversion Bible app. If you don't already have that on your phone, this is a great way you can scan that to get to it. Because we believe this at the beginning of the year, this is a great opportunity for everybody to begin new practices, spend some time with God in the morning, uh, reading some scripture, and to do so in the context of community. If you, if you scan this QR code, it'll take you to relevant churches kind of uh, group within Uversion. You can kind of see things that we're suggesting, different uh, reading plans that might come up. And you can also do so uh, your reading, you can do so in the context of the community, the church that you're part of. We think it's really cool. Second thing is this. Jimmy mentioned towards the end of his message last week, but if you'd like to be better equipped to intervene in a person's life who may be suicidal, uh, man, I challenge you to join us for a seminar with Gail Yandel. She's the director of training for the International Fellowship of Chaplains on Tuesday, January 31st, right here from 7 to 8. Gail specializes in critical incident stress management, uh, depression, grief, loss, PTSD, human trafficking. It's a lot of things to specialize in now that I say it out loud. <laughs> a suicide and suicide intervention. So you'll learn how to identify signs that someone may be suicidal. You'll, you'll learn how to talk to them, uh, how to intervene, how to get them the right support and the right care. Anyone, anyone can respond to a person who's thinking about suicide if you have the right, uh, if you've been equipped in the right way, if you have the right knowledge and the right skills this seminar is, it has the opportunity to save lives. This seminar, the best part about it, is open to everybody. So if, 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 if you could invite people, share it on social media, let people know. And just so you know, in case you're a little nervous about this, there will certainly be a faith bent to it. But it's not just a faith seminar. And so anybody that might want to come, anybody that you know that, that, that could be impacted by this, would you invite them? Do that for us because we want this room filled with people who can get the tools to help save lives. We think it's that important. So would you do that for me? Yes, Matt, we will do that. Okay, thank you very much. Hey, we're in week three of a four-week series that is certainly about mental health, but it's not just about mental health. That'd be far too short-sighted. Mental health struggles are very real. Uh, they're everywhere around us. We all know about them, so we don't need four weeks for me to convince you that mental health struggles are real. No, we're taking four weeks to help you learn to help you learn how to live life to the full and help others live life to the full, even in the midst of a mental health struggle. And let me kind of, spoiler alert here, let me give you the end before the beginning. God wants the same thing for you. God wants you to live life to the full as well. He wants you to live life filled with hope and filled with joy and filled with all peace, so much so that it overflows in you. He never wanted us to feel imprisoned by the weight of depression and anxiety and grief. So he gave us real tools. He gave us real tools by the writers of Scripture, real things that we can actually do, that we can learn about in here to help us fight back against mental health struggles. In this, what you might have considered an antiquated, irrelevant old book, there are concepts in this book that the writers of Scripture share with us that are just now, just now being proven by science to have been true the whole time. To have the impact the writers of Scripture told us they would have. We're actually learning that science is showing the same thing. We're going to look at one of those today that I'm super excited about. Week one, I talked about hopelessness and how I believe hopelessness is kind of the, the foundation, the kind of the root of so many of our mental health struggles. I, I laid the groundwork for the fact that so many of our mental health struggles are much more of what I was calling brain health issues. 
uh, that there are things happening in our brains, both biological and chemical or clinical things that we can't control. Uh, things going on that cause us to suffer, and, and they're not your fault. You just have an organ in your body that's not functioning the way it should. Just like my eyes don't function the way they should, I need to wear these glasses. You might need some help with your brain health as well. The right medicine, the right therapy, just to get you set on the right track. Just to kind of put the wires back together so that you could possibly take the things that you learned from this series. Maybe just a small little nugget and combine that with good health, with good medicine and good therapy. And maybe find a little bit of freedom and maybe find a little bit of health in your life. And then week two, uh, Pastor Jimmy gave a message on depression. It was fine. I mean, <laughs> he did use it as an opportunity to tear me down, which I would never do that. Not, I would never do that. Uh, Jimmy is obviously intimidated by my intellect, which proves the fact that he needs to use the stage to mock me for not having read as many books as he's read leading up to this series. So I would never use my platform to tear him down. <laughs> Just because he's less skilled at coming up with his own content, uh, that, that is not his fault. And for those of you who weren't here last week, I know I've completely alienated you just to make a joke, but it, was, it had to happen. Just, it had to happen. Uh, all joking aside, it really was a great message. You should go back and watch it. He made people cry, which is apparently all you have to do for it to be the best message ever. <sighs> today, today, though, we are, we are talking about the most prevalent and the most pervasive mental health struggle in our world today, and that's anxiety. And I thought I'd share with you a story of kind of the first time I ever experienced anxiety, for real, like real anxiety. I was probably 23, maybe 24, and I was in my first ministry position at a small conservative Southern Baptist church in Texas. And uh, the, I was the youth pastor there, so I, I spent most of my time hanging out with kids and doing that type of stuff. But the, the pastor at the time asked me, hey, would you mind preaching this Sunday on a certain date? And... Uh, and it was a few months out, and I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. No training, no nothing. It was kind of like he thought, oh, you've seen a sermon. You do one of those, okay? And so I am freaking out, like stressed out, the anxiety, like it, it becomes so debilitating that I don't write a single word. Like I sit down to try and figure out what message I want to give, what God might want to say through me, this 23-year-old guy, and uh, nothing. Nothing came, so I kept pushing it off, kept pushing it off. Well, Poor planning on that pastor's part. He, he picked a Sunday that was right around my wife's due date. My wife Holly was due with our second son, Corbin, at the time. And so Saturday leading up to that Sunday morning, I, I was given tickets to the Byron Nelson Classic, which is a golf tournament in Dallas. And so I'm like, babe, we're going to go walk this whole course. We're going to walk all day. And you might be picking up on what I was hoping for. We get home from the, from the golf tournament and nothing's happening. Nothing's taking place. And so I'm like, all right, jump rope. <laughs> Do some jumping jacks. Come on, let's make this happen. Well, God in his goodness, because he loves me and he cares for me, put my wife in labor that night and I didn't have to preach. So that was, that was the beauty of it, because he loves me. And that was definitely the first time that I dealt with anxiety on a very real, uh, experienced it on a very real level. But I, thankfully, I, I, I'm not the only one. Uh, in fact, in 2019, two out of every three Americans said they were anxious or extremely anxious. And if you don't remember, a few things have taken place since 2019. And uh, since the pandemic, things have gotten worse. They've gotten way worse. 
especially in our younger generations, the studies show that 91% of high school and college-age students report consistent and significant levels of anxiety associated with the stress in their lives. Those are massive numbers, huge numbers. And so we definitely need to take some time to talk about it. But just like I did in week one, I want to do the same thing. Let me start off by acknowledging this is an extremely complex subject. I'm not an expert. I'm not a therapist. I'm, I'm certainly not a doctor. I know that on one side of the anxiety spectrum, we have these clinically diagnosable brain health caused anxiety disorders. Things like phobias and panic attacks and social anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. And these disorders, they differ from the typical experience of anxiety in a few key ways, most notably in the fact that they tend to persist. They just don't seem to go away. They're often completely out of proportion to the actual threat that you're experiencing, and you know it, but you can't do anything about it. They cause distress or impairment that significantly affect your quality of life, and, and just your simple ability to function. Uh, the good news is, is that anxiety disorders are actually highly treatable. And so if you're struggling or experience anxiety in this way, I actually encourage you to find the help that is available to you. I know it takes courage. I know it takes courage to admit that you need the help and that you're struggling, but it's so worth it. It's worth it for you, and it's worth it for the people who love you and the people that you love. So just for clarity's sake, let me be super clear. The rest of our time together, this is not the type of anxiety that I'm speaking about. I'm not speaking about clinical anxiety disorders. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have your everyday run-of-the-mill stressors. Uh, you know, the super easy ones for us to deal with. Things like uncertainty of the future. Uh, concern about how our kids are going to turn out. Problems with our jobs and our employers the outcome of our financial futures, uh, drama in, in whatever relationship you have. Will I ever be able to afford eggs again? I mean, <laughs> and these, although not clinically diagnosable anxiety disorders, they can be crushing. They can be completely debilitating. And every one of these, minus the egg joke at the end, can make it feel like walls are just caving in around you. As you experience them, your heart begins to race and you become short of breath. And so, what's our answer? Th those are real things that we really struggle with, so what do we do? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul, uh, he makes it abundantly clear. He makes it clear what, what we should do, and, and thankfully that should make this a very short message. He says this, do not be anxious about anything. There you go. I uh, did a lot of research to find this one, and so I'm going to pray. And you've got to be thinking, like, thanks, Paul. Thanks, man. That's super helpful. Can I have some of what you're smoking? Because I hear it helps with anxiety. <laughs> yes. Has anyone ever said anything like that to you? It's just the idea of, hey, just stop it. Just stop. Well, if you could, you would have a long time ago. And just to kind of maybe relieve some anxiety today, like, that's not the answer. The answer is not just stop. But, but I do believe, I do believe there's an answer. And the answer, I, I might even call it a cure, that Paul alludes to, today science is actually beginning to prove 
to be absolutely true. And let me show you what I mean by giving you some context to the verse that I just read. See, the Apostle Paul was actually on his second missionary journey where he was going out and planting different churches in different cities throughout the Mediterranean. And he landed in a city called Philippi. And while he was there, he planted the first church in Philippi, which actually ended up getting him and his buddy Silas beaten and eventually thrown in jail. And then some point later, they get released and continue on their journey. And when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he's again in jail. This time he just happens to be in the city of Rome, and he writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. you got to remember, when Paul pens what happened to be the most famous words in this book, I believe, his hands and his feet were chained. He was in a prison, unsure whether or not they were going to come in any moment and take his life. You know, just in case you were unclear of whether or not Paul understood the anxiety that you might be experiencing. He goes on, and this is our verse, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. All right, now we're getting somewhere. I understand. Okay, Paul, but then what? Right? Like, don't be anxious about anything. That's fine. Uh, the way to not be anxious about anything is to be thankful. And in fact, the, the, the Greek word, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, the same word for thankful uh, can be translated in the word gratitude, which will become important a little bit later. But then what? I, I'm thankful. I'm not anxious. What, what happens then? Well, then the opposite of anxiety happens. And the peace of God which transcends everything you can understand, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In church, we're about 14 minutes in, and I wanted so badly, I wanted so badly for that to be my message today. I wanted so badly to stick right in that area, maybe even throw in another coffee cup passage of cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, because he does. He absolutely, 100% cares for you. And I've already preached a message on anxiety, and it was pretty good. Uh, some people liked it. And, and, and since it was more than just a few weeks ago, I know nobody in here would remember. So I thought maybe I'd just bring it back out and preach it again. And I thought, hey, man, I'm going to have a super easy week. I'm just going to sit down on Wednesday, maybe repurpose some stuff, change some words around, flip-flop some stuff, and make sure that you guys don't remember, and then preach that message. And so I did a ton of research, kind of going heading down that line. I mean, obviously, I didn't read any books, as Pastor Jimmy said. Right? I listened to some podcasts or read some articles. And, and I studied anxiety and its effects on the brain. And all these professionals, these experts, they had some really good steps to take. Some true and actual helpful steps that you could take. Things like exercise and eat better and sleep better. These are all real things that really will help if you struggle with anxiety. But one kept coming up. Pretty much every article that would pop up and every podcast I'd listen to, and it was this idea practicing or developing what they would call a gratitude strategy. I, I even learned that anxiety and gratitude can't coexist in the mind at the same time. That the very same neural pathways that the brain uses to send anxious thoughts are the same ones it uses to send grateful thoughts. And so if you've got gratitude streaming through there, anxiety can't even work its way in. Or if you've got anxiety in there, you can bust through that 
with some gratitude thoughts and just completely clear it out, it actually is being proven to be true. Then I thought, Paul used the same word. The, the Apostle Paul, in a prison, in chains, he used the same word. And if all these experts are speaking about, hey, make a gratitude list about all the things that you have to be grateful for. Make a list of all the things that you have to be grateful for. And Paul, Paul used the same word. Then I was done. I, I was wrecked. I could think of nothing else. That idea of having this simple kind of repurposing a message, a nice easy week of sermon planning, it went right out the window. Because in that moment, God made it clear to me that, that he had something new for our church. And so I had to dig in. It may not be clear to you yet, but you see, Paul had nothing. Everything had been stripped from Paul. Likely even his own life would be taken. And so if gratitude is built upon what we have, then Paul had nothing to have gratitude for and would have been completely crushed by the weight of his own anxiety, by the weight of his own thoughts of impending doom. If gratitude is founded upon what you have now, then gratitude is very fragile. I mean, certainly I have gratitude for my job and for my financial security, but it ain't that secure. If, if I lost my job or if I had some huge expense come up that I couldn't cover, then where's my gratitude then? I, I'm extremely grateful and I have gratitude for my house. I'm, I'm grateful I have a roof over my head. But my wife has a problem with leaving her flat iron on when she leaves. My house could be burning to the ground right now. I have no idea. And if it is, where's my gratitude then? You see, the foundation of your gratitude, it determines the resiliency of your gratitude. So if that's the case, what, what was the foundation of Paul's gratitude? How was his gratitude so resilient that even in the face of imprisonment, Impossible death was he able to say, I'm not anxious about anything, and you shouldn't be either. You see, we see the foundation of his gratitude a little bit back in a letter that he had written earlier to the church, to the followers of Jesus in Rome, when he says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And Paul's just saying, for those who have put their faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life that they are children of God. And the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, you about, brought about your adoption to sonship, your adoption as sons and daughters. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. It's just this word meaning the sense of daddy, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Jump down a few verses, verse 28, he says this, and we know that in all things God works. And if you fell asleep earlier and just woke up for that line and then doze off for the rest of the time, it's probably fine. 
You could walk out these doors, and if that's the only thing you heard me say today and you actually believed it, could you imagine the change that would take place in your life? I mean, what is anxiety in the fact that God Almighty works, that in every situation in your life, He works? And for those who love them, He works together for the good who have been called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined. And don't, don't let those big theological words confuse you or kind of take you out of the promise here. I'll come back to those in just a second. For those He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And I'm telling you, I've got a sermon series coming up in March about all of this, and I'm so excited about it. I've been spending a lot of time reading about it. Maybe why this verse stuck out to me so much this week. But what does any of that mean? How does any of that have anything to do with Paul's foundation for gratitude? Well, let me, let me kind of tell you what I think it means. It means that God knows things before things. That for the follower of Jesus, he foreknew your step of faith in him. And in knowing that, he predetermined about you that he was going to work to conform you. He was going to work to transform you more into the likeness of the very Jesus that you just put your faith in. And when he foreknew your decision to follow Jesus and predetermined at that time that he would work to shape you into the likeness of Jesus, he called you. He called you to come into his story. And as he called you into the story, he justified you. There's a cross at the center of your story, which is where you become free. And then he glorified you. Which in other plain words is, he plucked you out of your story and he wrote you into his story. He plucked you out of history and put you in the arc of the narrative of his story so that when he comes in glory, you're coming with him. This is Paul's foundation for gratitude. This is why Paul can be so brash as to say to you, don't be anxious about anything because in all things, God works. Paul's not trying to minimize your struggles. He's not trying to minimize your anxiety. He's well aware. He's well aware of how overwhelming it can feel at times. He's well aware of how debilitating the anxiety can feel at times, he's simply reminding us that when we feel this anxiety, that we present our requests to Abba, Father, but that we do so from a place of gratitude, gratitude that's built upon the unshakable foundation of your position as a called, justified, glorified child of the King. The foundation of your gratitude will determine the resiliency of your gratitude. This week as I studied for this message and really kind of pondered my own gratitude and thoughts of being grateful that there was this song that kind of became the soundtrack for my week. I listened to it a ton. And kind of the gist of the lyrics, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change them up a bit, but go like this, all my words fall short. I've got nothing how could I possibly express all my gratitude? 
how can I express gratitude for all of that stuff? The fact that you knew me. And when you saw me, you called me into your story. That you put a cross in the middle of my story and you justified me and saved me. What do I have to say? How could I possibly express gratitude? And so I throw up my hands. And I praise you because all I have, all I have is hallelujah. All I have to say is hallelujah, which just simply means God be praised because I've got nothing left. There are no other words that I could say in light of all that you've done. In light of all that he's done to rescue me and adopt me and make me one of his own, I've got nothing left to say. And so I just, I asked Justin and Misty if they could play that song for you this morning. As they sing, I would love for you to think about one simple question. What foundation is your gratitude built upon? Is it a frail foundation of possessions and things and people, which, let me be super clear, we should be very grateful for? Or is your gratitude built upon the foundation of the fact that he knew you, that he called you, justified and saved you and gave you a place in his story? i 
give you a little insight on how how things work so the enemy this week actually mostly just this morning all I could hear was it's not gonna help it's not gonna help like we want to we want to help and, and nobody can take this and do anything with it they're, they're not able to walk out these doors and actually implement something into their life that's actually gonna help them it's not gonna help so it's not the right message to preach And I just didn't believe it. I want to be super clear. Like, I'm not saying this is easy. I, I, I don't even believe that if, if you walk out these doors and lay this foundation of gratitude, that anxiety is going to leave your life forever. But if you're building gratitude on the things that you have, I, I do believe that that won't last either. I believe if you build gratitude on things you have today and you don't have them tomorrow, what do you have gratitude for anymore? And so as we lay this foundation of the fact that, man, 
All I have as my foundation is gratitude for the fact that he came and he saved me and he called me and he justified me and he glorified me and he's continuing to work in me to conform and transform me. That's my gratitude. And on top of that, on top of that, I can lay gratitude for my wife. On top of that, I can lay gratitude for my kids or my job or my stuff or my 2002 Silverado. I got gratitude on top of gratitude, right? But if my foundation is where it needs to be, man, those things can be gone tomorrow. And will it hurt? Yeah, yeah, it'll hurt. But I still have gratitude. And I can still fight against the pain and the struggle of anxiety and mental health in my life because of my foundation. And so I challenge you. I challenge you to take some time this week, spend a few moments. Spend a few moments each, each morning and, and, and write out some things that you're grateful for. Whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not, if you, if you do this, I believe it will help. I think if you take some time to, to, to create this practice in your life of being grateful for the things that you have, I do believe it will help. I also believe it won't help forever. And so for those of you who do follow Jesus, man, I want the first thing on your list to be, God, I'm just so grateful that you came for me. God, that you knew me and that you know me and that you're working in my life. Let that be the first thing on your, on your list. I believe without that as your foundation, you're just destined to find times in your life when you have nothing to be grateful for. Y'all pray with me. If you're watching this morning online or if you're here in the room with us and you begin to feel some stirring in your, in your heart, if you've never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, I want to tell you something crazy right now. That if that's happening in your heart, that God knew from the beginning of time. This isn't a surprise to him. So this morning you can enter into that relationship with him. You can experience this this gratitude that we're talking about, you can start to get some pieces in your life where you understand the gratitude that, that I have as, as a follower of Jesus. You can do that by praying this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know that I'm in need of a Savior. Would you come and be my Savior? And then Jesus, from this day forward, would you lead my life? God, I really am just eternally grateful. I don't always get it right. I certainly don't always start every day like this. I, I'm not trying to make it sound like I do. But God, when I sit and think about you, when I sit and think about what you've done, uh, when I see the transforming work that you've done in my life, that you've done in my friend's life, that you've done in our church's life, God, I can't, I have nothing left to say but hallelujah. God, I pray that as we walk out these doors as a church this morning, that we walk out just filled with gratitude. That we push against the powers of the enemy, that we push against the power of anxiety and mental health struggles in our lives, and we do that through gratitude this morning. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.